Hey, good morning. How you doing? You look fantastic. You smell good. Whatever you're doing, keep it up. You guys okay? Hey, thanks for coming to chapel. Appreciate the invitation from Dr. Tucker and the faculty here. I know you have some rock stars uh, that are here teaching you and training you. And so it's a, a privilege to be able to be here and share a few minutes with you. And so um, I just want to spend a few minutes kind of talking about you. Uh, if I could, for a few minutes, because I know that you are here, uh, because you are called by God to be here, and called by God to serve and minister into his kingdom, and, and it's a great calling, and it's an amazing life, and uh, especially during these times. It's very interesting times to be the church, very interesting times to, to lead the church and lead in ministry, I and mean, we've got all kinds of things going on in our world. We've got an Ebola scare out there that have people nervous about being in crowds and being around one another. Uh, we've got all kinds of issues in our state with, with border issues and immigration and, and all the kind of things going on in our world. And, and so the people we minister to, they're just a little nervous about things. Uh, even though gas prices have dropped a little bit, which is a bit of encouragement, there's still enough out there to keep us a little bit nervous and on edge. Christians being killed in other parts of the world. I and mean, it's just kind of a scary time for a lot of people. But it's a great time to be the church. Because we've seen so many times in history when the church is persecuted, then it rises to the challenge. And so our people are being challenged. We're being challenged to rise to that level and to address the issues of our world and and give that sense of peace to our people so they can go out and spread it uh, to those uh, that they may know. So it's a very interesting time to to serve and minister. I'm thinking back a little bit as I was preparing for this of my seminary days, and I remember those days. And probably like a lot of you, you were going to school and then serving in a church or having a job somewhere to kind of help pay the bills. And I remember one of the things that I craved most when I was in seminary was getting out. <laughs> you know, I just couldn't wait to get out of seminary. Um, and, and in my mind at the beginning, I thought, well, this is just something I need to endure to get out and really start to minister. And I, I had a mentor, a professor of mine in college, and I was kind of sharing my frustration uh, wondering if there was light at, at the end of tunnel, even if there was a tunnel. Uh, and he said, you know, your seminary time is your ministry. This, this is your full-time ministry. You are ministering, you are preparing for the future, but now is the time that you are ministering, and it is your full-time job. And so that was kind of a relief for me to just consider that and to be able to put my, my full effort into it. And so I encourage you in the same way, this is your ministry while you are here. This is your full-time job, and get the most out of your seminary. Enjoy the experience, learn, be challenged, wrestle, uh, learn from these great people that are here to lead you and enjoy this time um, because it is a time of ministry and a time of growth. And so just kind of thinking about your call, because to be honest with you in ministry, there are times that I have to go back to that. (laughs) There are times I ask myself, why in the world am I doing this? There are times other people ask me that, why in the world are you doing this? And it's important to be able to go back to that time when you were called by God. My calling was kind of a progressive calling. I was a high school student at the time. I had been in church for many years and loved the church. I was in the youth ministry and kind of a youth leader there as a student. Uh, My parents were very involved in the church. Uh, I knew I loved the church and I loved people. I was kind of headed more into probably social work or psychology was my thinking originally. But I had a youth pastor that kind of took me aside and began to disciple me and began to invest his life in mine. And one day he just asked me as we were praying, he said, you know, have you ever thought that God may want to combine your two passions, the church and people? 
and that maybe this is what he's doing is calling you into ministry. So we begin to pray about that and talk about it. And uh, at one point he said, you know, you finally, it's time to let the church know where you're headed and what you're thinking. So they can begin to encourage you and begin to pray for you. And so I went back and I told my parents the advice that my youth pastor gave me, and I never will forget it. It was just a, a crucial moment in my life, and I've shared this story many times to try to encourage others. At that time, I didn't know what type of ministry to go into, where I was headed. I just knew that God was calling me. And he gave me this advice. He said, Sunday, go down after service, go down to the altar and spend some time with God, and take a blank sheet of paper. And I literally did this. I took a blank sheet of notebook paper, and I put it on the altar. And my prayer to God was, God, here is my life. This paper represents my life. I will trust you to fill in the blanks. And for the past 30 years, he's been doing that. Not always the way I liked or always the way I'd hoped, but he's been very faithful to fill in the blanks. And I still trust him now to do that. But I remember going home and telling my parents what my youth minister had said as I felt this call into ministry. My mom was a church secretary. And she tried to talk me out of it because <laughs> she had seen the dark side of church and the, and the dark side of pastors sometimes. She said, I don't, I don't know, maybe you should do something different. But eventually, I think now maybe uh, she's supportive of that. So it's been an exciting call. But, uh, and so I, I just want to encourage you today and challenge you today because it, it is awesome to serve in the kingdom of God. It, it's tough, uh, no doubt. It's, it's a struggle sometimes. But it is an amazing thing that we are called to do because what we do really matters. There may be times we wonder, but it really matters. For all of eternity, it matters. Because we want people to believe what we believe about Jesus. We want people to know that he died for their sins, that he rose again, that he's given us eternal life. We believe in the local church. I love the local church. With all its flaws and its wounds and its scars and its mistakes, it is still what God has established on this earth to share his message to the ends of the earth. It is, it is still the place where people can come and find hope and love and acceptance regardless of how the world has beat them up. I believe in the local church and I love serving the local church. It, it brings joy to my life. But also, like you, we do this because this is who we are. This is how God has wired us. To do anything else, though it may be more profitable, would be very frustrating. It's always better to say yes to God than to say no to him, <laughs> even though it might kind of mess up our lives. You know, God, Jesus is really good at wrecking our lives. We have all these plans and these things figured out and maybe spend a lot of time, money, and, and effort into it, and he says, no, I want you to go this way. And, that, and that's a moment of crisis, a moment of faith for us, and, and it's always better to follow him. And so there are times in ministry when, when it's been a rough week or some rough situations going on, I always go back to that call, and I remember that laying that sheet of paper. I can still see it in my mind, putting that sheet of paper on the altar and then standing there with the pastor as he announced what I was going to do, and, and people cheered. They applauded. They were so grateful that God was calling me into ministry, and that was an exciting time. At other times when I get frustrated and life and ministry seems to be a bit of a struggle, I, I go read about the Apostle Paul because he just makes me feel better, you know, to be honest with you, what, what he's gone through. One of the passages uh, I love to go to is um, there in 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 11, 23 through 28. Let me just read a little bit about Paul's life and ministry, because if, if anybody's life was messed up by Jesus, it was his. He said, are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. And those were just church business meetings. You know, I mean, just 
Be honest. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been consistently on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concerns for all the churches. You know, that's just an amazing story. What an amazing testimony. Because i got to tell you, after two shipwrecks, I'm out. You know, I'm just, that's enough. I don't want to risk the third. But Paul continued to go. And I just wonder how many times he went back to his calling. Went back to that Damascus Road experience and relived that. And I, I know he asked that question, why am I doing this? So many times he went back and he remembered why he was doing that. And that's the same for me. Sometimes I just have to go back and remember that experience when, when I accepted God's call into my life. And so I want to challenge you to, to have a realistic view of ministry. To be honest, ministry involves suffering. Following Jesus involves suffering. But ministering for his church and his kingdom, it can cause suffering in our life. It can cause struggling in our life. I read some to, Statistics, there's an Into Thy Word website, gives us a little stats on pastors and ministers of the gospel, and it's really depressing if you read all of them, so I encourage you not to do that. Just let me give you a few. Uh, over 70% of pastors are so stressed out and burned out that they regularly consider leaving the ministry. And we always joke in ministry that we always resign every Monday, you know, because we just survived Sunday, don't know we can do it again. Uh, but that's a joke, all right? That's not reality. But there is some things that if we're not prepared for it, can get us very frustrated and begin to wonder about our call. Uh, Lifeway just produced a list of seven reasons pastors burn out. And I think they're worth noting. First of all, it's the 24-7 mentality that we're always on. You know, that, that, and I'll let you know, you don't always have to meet that person at church at 2 o'clock in the morning that has a crisis that needs to talk to you right now. Right? It can wait until you've had some more sleep and breakfast and Starbucks, because you're going to be in a better mind to deal with. Now, sometimes there are emergencies that you have to address, but when they need to talk about their relationship to their boyfriend or their girlfriend at 2 o'clock in the morning, it can wait, unless they're about to dump them right then, and then that's not your problem anyway. <laughs> conflict, there's always going to be conflict in the church, and that's healthy, actually. The way we address conflict is where we win or lose. Don't run from conflict. Be willing to address it, but have a plan of how to address it when it occurs and follow that plan. In the moments of calmness and peace, when you decide those plans, so when the moment of turmoil happens, you're ready to respond positively. Expectations. People have expectations of you as a minister that are not always realistic, and so know who you are and what you can do. Uh, an unwillingness to let go. Um, you know, we, we are not all gifted in doing everything. There's some things we need to release. There's some things we let other people do, and that's a wonderful thing. Delegation is a great spiritual gift from the Lord to use in ministry because others are gifted in ways you're not. And part of the joy of a minister is to be able to see those people get it and begin to use those gifts and serve in ministry. Uh, other on the list is no friends. <laughs> there are no friends. That just stands alone. Get friends. Find friends. Find other minister friends that you can connect to. No one understands ministers like other ministers. So you need some of those in your circle of influence that you can talk to uh, and share with and talk about the deacons to. The truth is we're not suited for some tasks. 
again, we're, we're not the jack of all trades. We, we can't do everything. And so sometimes there's that pressure that we're supposed to be able to do all of that, uh, but we can't. The least thing that I love to do as a minister is to go to hospitals. They just smell weird. They're frustrating. They're confusing. It's, it's just not a fun place to go. But it's significant to go and minister to people in the hospital. But there's a man in my church that is a retired minister, and he loves to go to hospitals. So guess who our minister of hospitals is? Yeah, Roy. Yeah. And if he says, hey, Ronnie, I think you need to go and see this one, then I'm going to go. But otherwise, it could be every day, all day long, going to hospitals and nursing homes because that can be overwhelming. Sometimes there's just the ministers have no life outside of the church. And as much as we love being a minister, we are more than that. We are people. We are spouses. We are children. We are parents. We are coaches. And that's okay because that's who we are and how God has wired us. The other thing I think is important is to have a realistic view of our families. Um, I remember when I went to Southwestern, uh, going after my master's degree, they had a, a seminar for us and brought us in, those of us who were married, to sit in there with our spouses, and they talked about the high divorce rate among ministers. That was shocking to me to sit into that conference, but it was, it was helpful and vital just to kind of give you a heads up. The ministry can be tough, and it can be tough on marriages, it can be tough on families. But God has brought us together, and he's united people with us, our spouses with us, to help us because they are partners in ministry. How many of you are married? All right, good. How many of you want to be married? All right, good, all right, we're good. Well, write these notes down. They may apply someday to you, right? But understanding this, protect your family. Be a spouse. Be a spouse first. Be a parent if you're a parent. And then be a minister. Right? Because you get to minister to your family, to minister to your spouse. That's your church as well, to be a leader in the home. Don't neglect this. Too many ministers put church members before their family members. And it reaps some horrible consequences. But realize who God has made you. Your, your priorities. Yes, you're a believer, a Christ follower. Under that, if you're married, you're a spouse. To be there for your spouse. If you have children, then you're a parent. Keep the spouse relationship first, then the parenting relationship. And then out of that context, minister. I think people appreciate that in our churches. They expect that in our churches. You know, if you've ever gone through a search committee, you know, I love it when churches poll the congregation what they want in a minister. <laughs> have you ever seen any of those lists? Basically, they're looking for Jesus, you know. And he hasn't applied yet, but they're, they're looking for Jesus because they want you to be there at the church. They want you to be there at meetings. They want you to visit the hospital. They want you to visit the lost, but they want you to spend time with your family, right? And to juggle all of that. And so sometimes we take all that pressure on and we need to realize who we are and how God has created us because some of the most valuable investment some of the greatest things we actually may do in ministry may not be what we do in our churches, but it may be the people that we raise, the people who are growing up in our home. That may be our greatest investment in the kingdom of God. And we can't neglect that and let our ministry take priority over that because we're always ministering. They are a part of our ministry. And if you are married, then I encourage you to help your spouse find their own identity. More than just the pastor's wife or the youth minister's husband. or They have their identity and help to find their identity. 
Because people also have unrealistic expectations of your spouse. And you need to be able to protect that and encourage that and invest your time and energy into that relationship. Still go on dates. Still wow each other. Still amaze one another. And make sure your date night is not Wednesday night fellowship meal. (laughs) And if your anniversary falls on a Sunday, then take that Sunday off and go somewhere and enjoy. The church will still be there. The ministries will still continue. But your spouse will really appreciate the effort that you made. Protect your children. 77%, according to this survey, 77% of pastors feel they do not have a good marriage. And just remember, you're going to live with your spouse a lot longer than you're going to live with any of those church members. So the investments that you make into that relationship will pay off hundredfold down the road. A couple months ago, I went to Catalyst one day in Austin, and Andy Stanley was there, and he made this statement that just really stuck with me. Nobody at home should feel like they are competing with someone at work, someone at church. Your kids, spouse, should never feel like they're in competition for them. They'll have unrealistic expectations of your spouse. They'll have unrealistic expectations of your children. Be a parent. I learned this in a negative way with a pastor. I served as a youth pastor for about 12 years, and a pastor I served in under, it was a Sunday night, and his daughter was about 14 years old at the time, and she had gone to the mall with some friends, and she got caught shoplifting. Uh, word got back to the church just shortly before Sunday night church, which started at about 6, about 5 o'clock. He heard about that news, and so he sent my wife and his wife uh, to the mall to rescue the daughter because he had to preach the Sunday night sermon. And it really wasn't even that good, to be honest with you. You know, He should have skipped it and gone to be with his daughter. right? Our priorities are important. So put those things in the right order. And then have a realistic view of yourself. As you read about Paul, and he talks about his life, in the statement that he makes in 1 Corinthians 9, that he has become all things to all people. I don't think that's a ministry principle. It's great for evangelism. We want to reach all people. But I don't think he was talking to pastors to have that same kind of mindset. And one thing I've come to realize, I am no Paul. And that's okay. You need to be who you are. I think people appreciate authentic people. I think they're looking for ministers who are real, who struggle with marriage, who struggle with raising kids, who struggle with finances, who who are real and open. I'm not saying you share all this from the pulpit. But people need to see you. Be who you are. Be who God has created you. Be authentic. And be okay with that. Understand the importance of building on your strengths and surrounding people, surrounding yourself with people who are strong where you are weak. We talk a lot about building our weaknesses, but I think we need to focus more on our strengths and then hire people who are strong where we're weak or, or, or delegate to people who are strong where we're weak. You can't do it all, and you don't have to, and you're not supposed to. That's why God gives us a church, gives us people. The other thing I would say is take care of yourself. Exercise, eat right, get plenty of sleep, take a Sabbath. If Sunday is not a Sabbath for you, then find another day. Make sure your church gives you a day off and take it. There are always things that pop up and and interrupt that, but make sure you take your day off and take every minute of vacation they give you. (laughs) Right? Don't forego those times of rest and relaxation to be with your family. Be authentic. Enjoy the place where you live. 
Statistics also show us that if a minister doesn't enjoy the place where they live, they won't stay there very long. If you're a small-town person, then minister in a small town. Don't try to go to a big city and, and think it's gonna, you're going to adapt to that if that's not who you are. If you love being in the big city, then don't try to go to a small town and minister. Minister according to who you are. God has created you and wired you and crafted you in a certain way to do a certain thing. And no one can do it like you can. And that's okay. Serve according to how God has raised you. And then I would say if you are going to serve in Texas, (laughs) develop southern hospitality. Shake people's hands. Look them in the eye. Say hello to everybody who walks by, even if they don't say hello to you. There's a certain expectation in this state, and I imagine probably in most of the South, that when you shake someone's hand, you're also going to put a hand on their shoulder or something. You're going to look them in the eye. You're going to say howdy or whatever you might want to say. And and some of you may be looking forward to get out of Texas, and that's fine too. (laughs) But as Truett Seminary students, I would encourage you to stay here. I would encourage you to consider staying in the state of Texas. Our state is growing rapidly. More and more people are moving into our state. We need more and more churches. We need more and more ministers to invest themselves in this state. And understanding what that is like, I know it's kind of weird, and if you come from another state, you probably feel like people from Texas are very arrogant because we talk about our state all the time. Every commercial talks about the Texas attitude. I get that, but that's the way it is. People are proud to be here. You've seen the bumper stickers. I wasn't born in Texas, but I got here as soon as I could. They don't tell you if they were kicking or screaming or not, but at least they're here, right? That may irritate some people I don't know. But I really challenge you to ask God, God, do you want me to stay here and be a part of what you're doing? It is an exciting time to be the church. It's an exciting time to be a leader in the church. So congratulations for going to seminary. Congratulations for growing and learning and experiencing what you're going through right now because it is invaluable to your call. And then I want to leave you with this challenge. I always try to close every sermon with a challenge. I would challenge you to write out your call. If you've never done that, to write out the experience of when you felt the call of God in your life. Write out what it felt like. Write out what people said to you. Write out how people are excited and then keep it handy because you may need to go back there again. Thank you.